We're coming together now for our third session in the life of Christ. Thank you again for being here. And uh, the last time we were together, we talked about the birth of the Annunciation of Christ to Mary. Let me give you a little bit of the wordplay that's going on here, too. I love names, as you can tell. All my kids have Hebrew names, and uh, they usually mean something. Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist, and his name means the Lord remembers. My son Zachary is named the Lord remembers Floyd. That was Gwen's daddy who was not alive when Zach was born. Uh, Mary, uh, Mary, we don't know her name. Uh, Mary's probably from the Hebrew word for myrrh. But Elizabeth, anybody here named Elizabeth? It means God's what? God's promise, God's oath. Okay? And so that's a, that's a great name. Uh, John means gift of God. And so when you deal with Zechariah and Elizabeth, you have God remembering his promise by giving them his, actually God's grace, God's gift. Okay? Jesus is the name Joshua, which means salvation. And now we're going to see that Mary gets together with her cousin Elizabeth. Luke chapter 1, verse 39, paragraph 6. Let's take up our story as we study through the life of Christ. In those days... Mary got up and went hurriedly into the hill country to a town of Judah and entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. Now understand, Mary is a young girl, probably a teenager. And when you find, uh, where did my map go? Brian, can you put the map up there? Oh, I'm going the wrong way. That would be better if I went the right direction. There it is. <laughs> There's a map of the land of Israel. And uh, one of the differences between Zechariah and Mary is Zechariah saw the angel in Jerusalem. That's the capital of Israel. Mary saw the angel at Nazareth. Nazareth is the dregs of the earth. You do, you do not want to be from Nazareth. Small town, probably 100 people tops, a few families lived there. It housed a Roman garrison. It was a miserable place. Think of the most miserable place in Polk County. I'm not even going to mention it, but you all know where it is. <laughs> Now Mary is going to travel down to the hill country of Judea. All these hills are in Judea. And somewhere, Zechariah and Mary live so they can have access to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is in the mountains, the highest place in the land of Israel. And Mary's going to travel, and most Jews at the time of Jesus would travel down here to the Jordan River Valley, cross the Jordan River so they didn't go through Samaria, they avoided Samaria, and then come back in here and cross through Jericho, somewhere into the hill country. And she's going to find her cousin Elizabeth, Luke chapter 1 and now verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud voice. So here's what's happening. Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. Elizabeth is in her sixth month of pregnancy. And now the baby is going to jump. Now I know because we've had four children, that babies start jumping somewhere around three or four months, right? But I'm guessing by six months that little John the Baptist is quite a little jumper. But this is not the normal, ordinary flutter. I think this is more of a triple somersault from the pike position with a twist jump. And at that point, Elizabeth becomes an Old Testament prophetess. Again, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would show up and come upon you for a specific task and then depart. Elizabeth has a job to do, so she exclaims, verse 42, in a loud voice, 
Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child in your womb, and who am I that the mother of my Lord should come and visit me? For the instant the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that which was spoken to her by the Lord would be fulfilled. So here is John, and John will take on the role of the herald, H-E-R-A-L-D, not herald, herald. He is the forerunner, and there's a subplot in the entire life of Christ that we will introduce here. And the subplot is this, what happens to the herald will ultimately happen to the king. Okay? John has his birth announced by the angel Gabriel. Jesus has his birth announced by the angel Gabriel. John will be born. Jesus will be born. John will start his ministry. Jesus will start his ministry. John will be prematurely put to death. Jesus will be prematurely put to death. What happens to the herald will happen to the king. But here is John leaping in his mama's womb and doing his job even before Jesus is born. And she says, Blessed are you, verse 42, among women, and blessed is the child in your womb. I preached on this in, on Mother's Day, and there are some very confusing things about Mary that creep in here through one branch of Christendom, the Roman Church. And they have this thing called the Hail Mary. It says, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Uh, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mary's going to speak here for the first time publicly other than her talk with the angel. And there are some things that Mary is not. Understand, Mary is not sinless. She's going to say, I, my heart is rejoicing at God my Savior. People who are sinful need a Savior. Mary acknowledges that. Mary is not a perpetual virgin. I told you that uh, the, the uh, Immaculate Conception Doctrine from the Roman Church has to do with not the, not the birth of Jesus, but it has to do with the birth of Mary, whose mother was St. Anne. And they want to keep Mary a perpetual virgin, so she has no children other than Jesus, even though the Scripture attributes at least six children to her. She is not the co-redemptrix, the official position of the Roman Church is that she is equal to Jesus, that she's actually deity, and she can forgive. She is not any of that. She's not related to the religion of Ishtar, which I think is how all that got established uh, 2,000 years ago. But she is an incredible, obedient young woman who is a great student of the Word of God. And I think when you, when you look at the Luke 2 passage at the Christmas story, she ponders a lot of things in her heart. And she's already starting to ponder what the birth of Jesus is going to mean to her in the world. So in paragraph 7, we have the anthem of Mary. This is also called the Magnificat of Mary. Magnificat in Latin is the words, the Lord magnifies. And that's the first statement here in verse 46. The Lord exalts. In, in Latin, magnifies my soul. Okay? So now she's going to talk, and uh, she's going to have some great things to say. In verses 46 through 50, this is what God is doing for Mary. And she says, my soul exalts the Lord. Verse 47, my spirit has begun to rejoice in God, my Savior. She knew she needed a Savior. Because he has looked upon the humble state of his servant, from, for from now on all generations will call me blessed. Because he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. From generation to generation he is merciful to those who fear him. 
And that last line in verse 50 is a quote from Psalm 103 in verse 17. And so Mary is a, is a young gal, but she knows the scriptures. She has spent intimate time in the Word of God, and she just has this spill out of her in her ordinary conversation. She is a woman of the Word. And then beginning in verse 51 down through 55, she will say as a result of her pregnancy, this is what God is going to do for Israel. Verse 51, he has demonstrated power with his arm. He has scattered those whose pride wells up from the sheer arrogance of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up those of lowly position. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. That's Psalm 107 in verse 9. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Underline Abraham. Because Mary is very aware of the promises that God made to Abraham. And if you're going to understand the big picture of the Bible, you need to understand this thing called the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis 12, God says, Abraham, I want you to leave three things and I'm going to give you three things. Genesis 12 is 4,000 years old and the Lord said to Abram, he changes his name in chapter 15, but here he's still Abram. Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house. Abram, I want you to leave this place. Now, Abram was living in the city of Ur. Ur is the center of civilization. We have the ruins of Ur. They had geometry before the Greeks. They had indoor plumbing. They had rudimentary air conditioning. Ur had it all. Abraham was living in the center of the world, and God says, hey, leave. I want you to leave three things. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your relatives, and I want you to leave your dad. And Abraham, if you'll do that, I'm going to give you three things. And I think that's a great principle with God. God never asks us to give up something, good parenting principle. Don't ever ask your kid to give up something without saying, but here you can do this. And here's the promises. You're going to get a land. Go to the land which I will show you, that land of Israel which we just saw. And I will make you a great nation, that's the second thing, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. Mary understood the promises to Abraham, and they were all going to come together in the person of Jesus, her son, the Messiah. So if you get the Abrahamic covenant, it'll help as we unpack the life of Christ from week to week. Malachi chapter 3 is another passage I want you to be familiar with. The last chapter of the Old Testament. Malachi, or as I said earlier, Malachi. <laughs> Malachi is a prediction that John the Baptist would come. So the Jews to this day who don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, they're waiting for this to be fulfilled. And behold, Malachi 3.1, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. If you ever get invited to a Jewish Passover meal, okay, this person is the messenger of God who comes in the spirit and power of Elijah on in Malachi 3. And they actually leave an empty seat at the table for Elijah. And there's a time in the Jewish Passover when they stop the meal and they go look to the door and open the door to see if Elijah's coming. Because they know the Messiah can't come until Elijah comes first. The messenger who will come and announce the Messiah who will ultimately get to his temple. So all this is background for what happens with the birth of John the Baptist, okay? When we get to the birth of John the Baptist, we're in paragraph 8. What happens to the herald ultimately will happen to the king. Verse 57. Well, actually, the very last 
verse of the seventh paragraph is verse 55. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then returned to her home. So at the end of the pregnancy, Mary leaves. Don't know if she stayed there for the birth of John the Baptist. We're not told. Under the Jewish law, she would be unclean if she stayed for the birth of the child. So my guess is she probably did not. She heads home, and Luke 1, the baby is born. Now the time came for Elizabeth to have her baby, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to do what? Circumcise the child, and they wanted to name him Zechariah Jr. That's my own addition, after his father. But his mother replied, no, he must be named what? John. The eighth day is the day for circumcision. I'm told by doctors that I've talked to that the eighth day is the highest level of the vitamin that helps us heal in our whole lifetime. It spikes on that day. And so circumcision is done on that day. It's the healthiest day for the baby boy. And circumcision is going to take place. And at that time, the child will be named. You will always give the child the name of his father. Or if it's not the firstborn, you would give him the name of a living male relative. Now it's time. The boy's circumcised. And we're going to name him Zechariah. No, you're not. You're going to name him what? John. That will raise questions in the birth of John and also later in the birth of Jesus. Verse 61, they said to her, none of your relatives bears this name. So they made signs to the baby's father inquiring what he wanted to name his son. Poor Zach's been quiet for nine months. And he asked for a writing tablet. And he wrote, his name is John. And they were all amazed. And immediately, Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue released and he spoke, blessing God. You see, his last words were words of doubt to the angel. Now his next words are words of great faith. All of their neighbors were filled with fear and throughout the entire hill country of Judea, all these things were talked about. All who heard these things kept them in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the Lord's hand was indeed with him. See, Jesus did not show up in secret. And the birth of John and the birth of Jesus did not happen in a vacuum. It wasn't like, oh, we never knew this was going on. It's a small country. It's a big miracle. And the word gets out, Zechariah and Elizabeth have a child. Everybody's kind of happy but kind of amazed at this whole deal. And now Zechariah will do just what Elizabeth had done previously. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. What's he, what's he doing? He's becoming an Old Testament prophet. Again, we're still in the era of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon a person. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit indwells believers. In the Old Testament, he would come upon you for a specific task. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, to walk with us, and help us be more like Christ. But here's a prophecy that we get from Zechariah, and it will involve the promises to Abraham and the promises to David. I love how all this fits together. Verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, because he has come to help and redeem his people. Write down there Jeremiah 31, 31. That's a reference to what's called the new covenant. We have the covenant with Abraham. We have the covenant with David. But Jesus, on his last night, said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's about the cup of redemption. Verse 69, for he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. There's 2 Samuel 7. 
just as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from long ago that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. That's Psalm 106 and verse 10. He has done this to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our ancestor Abraham. Now again, there's a play on words here. To remember is the word Zechariah. To oath is the name, the oath is the name Elizabeth. So he's saying, hey, God has done this to show mercy to our ancestors and to, and to Zechariah, his holy covenant, and Elizabeth that he swore to Abraham. And the oath grants, verse 73, that we being rescued from the hands of our enemies may serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him as long as we live. So again, verses 68 to 75, all three of the covenants that we talked about are fulfilled. And then 60, 76 to 80, this is what John the Baptist gets. Verse 76, a new child will be called the prophet of the Most High. Malachi 3.1. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's tender mercy, the dawn will break upon us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so John the Baptist's ministry is to prepare the way for Christ and more importantly to give light for those in darkness. Isaiah 9, we read this at Christmas time. Those who live in darkness, we'll see a great what? Light. Who lives in darkness if you're a Jew? Well, the people out there over the Mediterranean Sea, if you look over the Mediterranean, it's totally dark. Those are the Gentiles. And so the goal of the covenant program of God is not just to redeem Israel, but to bring good news to us as well who are Gentiles. I love this. Now, here's the result, verse 80. And the child kept growing and becoming strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day he was revealed to Israel. Can you put the map up again, please, uh, Brian? The wilderness is not where John the Baptist normally would have grown up. John the Baptist is the child of a priesthood marriage. Zechariah is a priest. His wife is from the tribe of Aaron. And yet they're willing to say, hey, you know what? He's not going to operate under the old system. He's going to live in the wilderness. And this is the wilderness of Judea. And so John is going to be raised differently than a normal Levitical priest. Because he's going to have a different ministry than the normal Levitical priest. He's going to be the messenger who prepares a back-to-God movement for the coming of the Messiah. Now let's go one more paragraph and we'll get you out of here on time. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, paragraph 9. Okay? Paragraph 9. The birth of Zechariah and Elizabeth is announced. John the Baptist is coming. Then the birth of Jesus is announced to Mary. Then John is born. What happens to the herald will happen to the king. Jesus is born. Okay? Matthew 1, part of the Christmas story. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ happened this way while his mother was engaged to Joseph, but underline this, before they came together. There's a great emphasis in Matthew's gospel on the virgin birth. Why? Because in Matthew 1, if Jesus is directly related to Joseph, he cannot be the king. So you have here in this verse, 18, before they came together. Skip down to verse 23. 
They did not have merit. Uh, I'm sorry, look, verse 23. The virgin will conceive and bear a son. And then verse 25. They did not have marital relations until she gave birth to a son. So in this one paragraph, you got three mentions of the virgin birth. Very important. Here we go. Now the birth of Jesus happened this way while his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. She's done at Elizabeth's house. She's four months pregnant. She comes back to Nazareth, and I'm guessing she's got a baby bump. And I'm guessing some of Joseph's buddies said, Hey, uh, hey Joe, you seen Mary? She's pregnant. I bet one of those Roman soldiers got her pregnant. Now in the Jewish culture... Getting married was a long process. The first thing you had to do was pay a bride price for this young girl you were going to marry. That's why older men married younger women. They had to earn a year's salary to pay her family. I think it's a terrible idea as the father of four sons. I'm really more interested in a dowry myself. But when you got betrothed, okay, the young Jewish man would go to the home of the, of the bride and he would take a contract and a cup of wine, his family's best wine, and he would put the contract down in front of her family to read and then the cup. And if she chose to marry him, she would drink the cup. That's what we do when we choose to take communion. We're being proposed to. He's our groom. We're the bride of Christ. And we're agreeing to the terms and the bride price that he's paid for us. Isn't that cool? Okay? So Joseph has done this, and that begins a one- to two-year period to protect the groom. If the woman gets pregnant during these 12 or 24 months, he can get his money back. But to do that, you have to go through a divorce. So verse 19, because Joseph, her husband-to-be, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her, he intended to divorce her privately. I'm going to get my money back. Under Jewish law, she could be stoned. They don't have the permission to do that because the Romans wouldn't let them. But he's not going to publicly humiliate his young Jewish bride. He's just going to get his money back and go on about his life. Verse 20. When he had contemplated this, an angel of the Lord, there's our angel again, appeared to him in a dream, saying, First, Joseph, son of David, number one, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because to the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Three, she will give birth to a son. And four, you, not Mary, will name him Jesus because he will Jesus his people from their sins. Again, the Hebrew word Jesus is the word Yeshua, Savior. Verse 22, this all happens so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will conceive and bear a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. And so Matthew quotes Isaiah 17, and he doesn't give you the reference. Matthew doesn't say, oh, this is from Isaiah uh, chapter 7 and verse 14, because Matthew assumes that you're Jewish, and he's writing to the Jews to show Jesus is our what? King. And it starts here with Isaiah. You ought to know that if you're Jewish. Well, we put it in our Bible, so we know, but Matthew assumed you know. Isn't that cool? Verse 24, when Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did what the angel of the Lord told him. He took his wife, but did not have marital relations with her until she gave birth to a son whom he named Jesus. What a good man. These are all great people. These are all people of faith. These are all righteous people. 
These are all people who know and understand the Word of God. But this doesn't mean their life was easy. You can be a person of great faith. You can have a great understanding of the Word of God. And you can go through a lot of the same stuff that Joseph's going through. And I think Joseph is my hero in the whole story. Because we don't hear much about Joseph. You know, the tradition is, and I think it's sound, that that Joseph, being older, would have died before Jesus started his ministry. And he leaves Mary behind with at least seven kids. There are a lot of orphans and widows referenced in the New Testament. That's because older Jewish men married younger Jewish women. But Joseph had to face some things. He had to, he had to deal with financial uncertainty. Joseph is going to marry her. And he is a what? What does he do for a living? He's a carpenter. But you know, in their tiny little town where everybody knew everybody else's business, are you going to take your carpentry job to the guy who's marrying the girl who's pregnant by the Roman soldier out of wedlock? You know, unlike our world, being pregnant out of wedlock is a disaster. I'm not saying it's not forgivable. I'm just saying in their world, his finances are going to take a huge hit. Second, politically, his world is upside down. He lives in the ends of the earth in this town called Nazareth that no one's ever heard of, but it's occupied by a Roman garrison. And the reminder every day, there's more Roman troops in Nazareth than there are Jewish men in Nazareth. And they wear those outfits and they clomp around in their sandals and they wear those shoulder pads and those little mini skirts. But they're mean. They are dominating. You are their slaves. They can ask you at any time to carry their load for up to a mile. Remember, Jesus says if they ask you to carry their pack a mile, carry it too. You lived under that domination. You had political uncertainty. And here, you know, I'm involved in the birth of the Messiah who's going to restore Israel. What's going on here? And last, can you imagine, just for a minute, the relational tension it would have caused in both of these families? Imagine Joseph going to his mom and dad and saying, Mom and Dad, you know, I'm engaged and betrothed to Mary and we got all this money and she's pregnant. Right. And she's pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Right. It's so tough to start any marriage with a pregnancy. You know, my wife has a brother and, and, and they went on their honeymoon and got pregnant. They have struggled their whole married life to make all that work. And here's poor Joseph and Mary in great relational tension. You know, Jesus was sinless, but they were not. And I'm guessing they had some long, hard discussion, and if not arguments, with all this. And, and I'm, I'm going to scream and say, God, you know, we're, we're obedient. Where's your blessing here? I'm leaving behind a wife and six or seven kids. And... So what are you going through? as you start this study. You have financial uncertainty in your life. You know, if you don't, God bless you. But we live in a, in a time in our economy where there are a lot of people in our county that have financial uncertainty to deal with. It's better than it was five years ago. But you never know when the bottom can fall out of the economy again. There's political unrest. I've never, you know, I'm old. I'm, I'm well stricken in years. I'm 64. And I voted for Democrats and I voted for Republicans, but I've never seen a time when the country was so politically polarized. Polarized, And frankly, I don't care which end of the aisle you sit on because Jesus loves us all and he died for us all. 
But we live in a time of great political turmoil. Our culture has changed dramatically. Just look at the NFL draft last week. Yeah, there were only two guys drafted last week. Johnny Manziel and Michael, what's his name? Sam. Our country is polarized on those issues. And then relationally, you know, it's tough. You know, Gwen is the greatest wife in the history of the world. But I'm not the greatest husband because I'm sinful and I'm selfish. And she's sinful but never selfish. But, you know, there are times when we have battled and battled, and the more we think we have it together, the less we have it together. You know? And I think Mary and Joseph got that. And you know what? I think the Lord gets that. And so we come together to study the life of Christ. And, you know, times change a little bit, but the people are the same, and their responses can be just the same. So let me pray for us as we dismiss. Father, thank you for Joseph, our unheralded hero at the birth of Christ who was willing to take the responsibility for a child that wasn't altogether his and adopt him and give him the rights to the throne of David and give him the name that was not his name and give him back to you in spite of financial uncertainty and in spite of political unrest and in spite of relational tension he was a man who loved you but just a man. I pray, Father, as people who love you, you would find us worthy of the gift of Christ that you have entrusted to us. For we go from here in his name. Amen and amen.